Hey, Adam Smolcom here, lead pastor of Vive Church. Welcome to our podcast. I pray that God will speak to you through the message today and that a greater level of faith would be unlocked in your life. God bless. In Psalm 63, that's the Psalm that we're gonna find ourselves in today. And in Psalm 63, once you grab your Bibles out, we find, I find that words hold weight when we understand the setting that they were spoken in. You know, like you can take words out of context and they get a whole other meaning to them. But when words are set in their proper context, they carry an extra weight to them. And I find that David, he set these words in a season of his life that were really powerful. And you know, in, uh, in Psalm 63, we see that he's in the wilderness of Judah. And you know, he, he finds himself there at this point, you know, you could think, oh, it was no fault of his own. Cause this is the second time he's found in the wilderness of Judah. The first time was when Saul chased him there in his youthful days. This is David in his old days. And his son is trying to take the throne from him. So he, he finds himself in the wilderness and I just think it's so interesting because sometimes we find ourselves in wilderness seasons of no fault to our own. But sometimes we find ourselves there and there was some part that we played in it. And here in this moment, David is literally fulfilling some of the consequences of the sins that he had committed with Bathsheba, but he's in the wilderness now in the future while things are playing out that God said would play out in his life. And he's not trying to do it without God, he's doing it with God. And I think that there's something to be said about that because often we, we like to come to God when everything's good, when we feel like our lives are all together, when we feel like we've cleaned ourselves up enough for Him to be able to see us. But here is David and he's, nothing's hidden. Like he knows that God knows all the mess that was in his life. He knows that even in the reckoning of God, you know, making things right in his life, he can be found with God still. And so in Psalm 63, it says this, He says, You are my God. I eagerly seek You. I thirst for You. My body faints for You in a dry, in a land that is dry, desolate and without water. You see, there's a physical setting. He's in the wilderness of Judah. There's a physical wilderness that he is looking at with his physical eyes. But there is also a relational wilderness that David is enduring. He's enduring the rejection of his son, the rejection of one of his counsellors, one of his best friends that he did life with. And he understands what it is to be in a spiritual, in an emotional wilderness. And he says, so I gaze on you in the sanctuary. I see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life in the midst of all the betrayals that are happening around me, in the midst of people peacing out on me, I find that You are my faithful love that is better than life. So I will bless You as long as I live 
At Your Name I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me with rich food. My mouth will praise You with joyful lips because I think of You as I lie on my bed. I meditate on You during the night watches because You are my helper. I will rejoice in the shadow of Your wings. I will follow close to You in the good times and in the bad times of my life because Your right hand holds on to me. But those who intend to destroy my life will go into the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the power of the sword. They will become a meal for jackals. But the King will rejoice in God. All who swear by Him will boast in the mouths of lions, of liars will be shut. You see, you know, David, David's pouring out his heart to God. He's sharing his heart to God in this moment. And, you know, I, I love the Psalms for that reason. It's an honest conversation with God. And so I'm just gonna pray right now one more time that God would locate you before I begin to speak the Word to you. And so Father, I just pray, I pray for Your Word, Your Word that is sharper than any two-edged sword, Your Word that cuts but also heals, Your Word that brings illumination, Your Word that helps us to see things the way that they should rightly be seen. Lord God, Your Word is able to judge our hearts and our minds. Your Word is able to comfort us as well. And so I pray for Your Word to go to work and do everything that You purposed and planned it to in our hearts today. And everybody said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Thank you, Vibe Worship. Can we thank our Vibe Worship team? Aren't they awesome? You know, you can take your seat now. Um, as we come into the Word. But uh, how are you doing? I just realized, I did the math this morning and I realized that it has been four weeks since I have been here, Vive Palo Alto. It has been a minute since I have been with my church and I'm just gonna take a second to look at your beautiful faces and all those smiles that are looking back at me. I love you. You are my family. I adore you. And so it is good to be back. I'm glad. I can tell by your smiles even though you're silent. I know Vox Jenna just like spiritually full but physically exhausted after <laughs> Oasis Camp. They are... Absolutely amazing. And hey, listen, we left some pretty amazing preachers in the pulpit for you. So this Psalms for the Summer series, you had, you've heard from Pastor Vance already. You've heard from Pastor Michelle. You heard from Pastor Ben. And you heard, happy Father's Day, by the way, to all the dads last week. And heard the panel was amazing and the dad jokes were next level. I'm not sure I'm gonna be able to compete with that today, but but I do want to come into the Psalms true to what my husband has asked me to do. And if you're wondering where Pastor Adam is today, he's with our San Jose campus. He's ministering down there. They have a block party. You know, Pastor Chase and Beck, they're gonna be dancing, you know, and having fun and all of that. But, you know, we're in our Psalms for the summer series and um, I love to unpack the Psalms because they're not just songs. They are also prayers. 
And so a consistent theme that I know that we keep coming around is that these Psalms are songs, but I really wanna focus on the fact that this Psalm is a prayer today. And you know, when I look at the Psalms, you know, the thing is about this is it's, it's an open and an honest exchange. Now this morning, you and I will have had some interchanges, okay? We will have said hi to each other. I don't know if you said hi to anyone on the way in this morning, I hope that you did. And so usually how it goes is we say hi, and then we follow it up with a how are you? And then you respond back to me with a good, fine, uh, great, if you're having an exceptional day. And there's nothing wrong with these cliche responses. It's just that they have become a part of our culture and they are kind of surface, they're polite because what you're not telling me is that you fought with your spouse on the way in here. What you're not telling me is that your kids slept in you to drag them out of bed and that it was a hassle. Not my kids, mine are angels. And they really are, they got up early, they set their own alarms, they have their outfits laid out the night before for church, they know how to prioritise the house of God. But, but you know, sometimes if we just keep it at that level of a superficial exchange, it, it creates a shallow depth to our relationship together. So if every week we come back and it's just high, fine, great, yeah, I don't get to know too much about what's going in your world. It's only when you start to understand what's going on in a person's life that you can help heal them, that you can fully love them, that the relationship can go to a whole new level and we can help each other. And you know, I find that this superficial sense of communication can creep its way into our relationship with God if we're not careful and we wake up and we do the, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you, Lord. And we go on with our day. We recite some kind of scriptures that have been recited or prayers that have been recited. And I don't know why you allow there to be a superficial relationship with God. Like sometimes we want there to be superficial, like I'm fine, God, I'm good, God. You don't need to worry about me, God. There's other people out there with worse problems than me, God. You know, maybe it's a way of just keeping God out of our world, but we do it for many, in many different ways. And we, we create and we determine the depth of relationship and the depth of communication that we are gonna have with God. But you don't see that in these Psalms. You see, in these Psalms, you see people who are pouring their hearts out to God. You see them singing songs and, and prayers that express human experiences of all you know, parts of life. We all have unique experiences. We all have unique expressions that happen. And there are no casual exchanges that are taking place in these Psalms. In these Psalms, these Psalmists are crying out to God from the depths of their despair, or they are crying out to God in celebration because He has answered their prayers and it is the heights of one of their moments in life. But you never see there be a surface level thing going on in these Psalms. What you always see is these Psalmists being honest with their feelings with God. 
And so today, Vive Church, we're gonna get honest, the honesty of the Psalms, and we're gonna allow it to guide us into a deeper relationship with God. And, the, and I'm gonna entitle this message today, Get In Line. Get in line, okay? And I'm gonna do it through Psalm 63 and I'm gonna do it through the story of David and Absalom. And we're gonna ask the question, how do I stay in line with God? Or how do I get back into alignment with God when everything in life wants to get me out of line? When circumstances and situations and offenses and life happens and life comes and it gets me out of sync with God, how do I get back in to sync with God? And I can't think of a better person to do it with than David. Okay? And so today I want to talk to you about that. Um, you know, um, when I think about the whole even concept of behaviorally being in line. You know, like we t try to teach our kids from a very early age to behave in line, you know? Like we, in school, we have rows. Even here in church, we have rows. There is order. You know, we're in lines, okay? And so um, I, re I, I realize that there are also two kinds of people, okay? There's the ones who like to abide by the rules and there's the ones who like to, you know, blur the lions of the rules and, and, br and break the boundaries a little bit or just extend them a little bit, you know? And so there's rule followers and then there's rule breakers. Are there rule followers in here with me today? Any rule followers? Some rule followers. There's more rule breakers in Vive Church. My husband would be so proud. And so, and so I find that, you know, when I think about this concept, it reminds me of something that I had, um, you know, experienced with one of my third, my children when they were in the third grade, okay? So I went to pick up my child, my, one of my girls um, from third grade class, and um, the teacher told me I wasn't allowed to pick her up yet, that I needed to wait because she owed her some time. And, um, and I was like, uh-oh, what did she do? And uh, this is my, uh, my, one of my rule um, breakers, okay? And so she likes to just bend the rules a little bit or stretch the rules a little bit. And, um, uh, and so anyways, the teacher had, in her attempt to keep the classroom in line, a third grade classroom, she had to leave and run an errand. So she decided that she would tell them, you know what, I'm going to leave, but here's my instruction to you. You are to stay sitting in your seat and your butt is not to leave the chair. <laughs> Pretty clear, okay. So my third year old, my brilliant third grader, not third year old, my brilliant third grader, she decided I hear the assignment and I'm going to excel. I'm going to take this up a notch. And she needed her pencil sharpened. So she decided that she would lift the chair. The chair would stay on her butt and that she would walk over with the chair, sharpen her pencil, that she would walk past her friends, say hi, have a bit of a catch up, and then come back to get in line. I know, brilliant. And I think that we can all relate to this a little bit 
Because you can be right, but you can still be wrong. And I think that we do this even in trying to have the right actions with God and behave in the right ways, but our heart is still out of line. And so I want to talk about that today because in, uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 15, you can go there and you can kind of flick through it, but I'm going to sort of story tell today because the setting that, that David spoke this psalm, Psalm 63, was happening at the same time all of this was happening. And it's a fascinating story of how brokenness uh, played itself out through a family. And so we have the betrayal of one of the closest bonds that you can have, the betrayal between a father and his son. It's a story of incredible connection, but also deep disconnection. And so, you know, it's the second time that we find David has been, had to go out into the wilderness to save his life. The first time was with Saul. When Saul became jealous of him, David had to flee into the wilderness. And there's many Psalms that we hear that he wrote in that time. But this is a Psalm that was written in his second exile as Absalom, his son, has decided that he is going to seize the throne and David to spare the people has left and gone into the wilderness. And so here he is and we have not just Absalom that who's rebelled against him, but we also have his counsellor, his best friend. His name is Ahithophel. Try and say that three times. Ahithophel. And the thing about Ahithophel is that he is the grandfather of Bathsheba. You see, in his heart, he had some things that he held on to. He had some vendettas. He had some scores that he was going to settle with David. And so he is aligned now with his rebellious son and they are overthrowing the throne. And so here we have Absalom. Absalom, it says that he was the most handsome man in all of Israel. Just picture him. I don't know what that looks like for you. The way it describes Absalom is that he had this long, luscious hair. Apparently his hair was really amazing. Apparently he had to cut his hair once a year and it weighed five pounds. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but just interesting facts from the Bible. But basically he was so beautiful and his charm was so wonderful that he was difficult to resist. And so it also says that, you know, the fact that he had no character was no issue for the people because people will take a leader who give them whatever they want and tell them whatever they want to hear. And this was the kind of leader that Absalom was. And so Absalom, he's the kind of guy who would also advance his own interests by affecting a deep devotion to the interests of the people. What is it that you care about? I care about that. I will be your advocate for that. If that's the thing you want, then let's fight for that together. So Absalom was that, but he was also both a liar and a patient man. These two things are very dangerous in a deceiver because he was able to discern the exact moment to act. 
We see this in the murder that he did with his half-brother Amnon. Two years he waited to bring revenge to him. It only took him four years to usurp the throne and take it as his own. And so we see that, you know, when we, when we look at these exile Psalms, we see that David, we get the impression that David was kind of like out of office a little bit. Like he didn't have his hand on all the affairs. And so because he didn't have his hand on everything, it left an opportunity gap for Absalom to step up to the plate. And so this egotistical prince used every device that he could to win the people to himself. You see, when David won the hearts of the people, he didn't win the hearts of the people by telling them what they wanted to hear. He won the hearts of the people by doing what God called him to do. He did it through sacrifice. He did it on the battlefield. He did it through winning wars and through service for the people. That's how David won the hearts of the people. And you see, the difference between the two of these men is that David, David was a hero. He had the substance of a king. He actually did the kingly duties. But here you have Absalom and Absalom, he's more like a celebrity. He has the appearance of, of, of being someone who, you know, has what it takes. You see, Absalom didn't do it the, e the hard way like David did. He did it the easy way. He did it the modern way. He just manipulated an image of himself that the people couldn't resist. And so since David wasn't available to the people, probably because he was doing his kingly duties, probably because there was some substance to his work and it wasn't superficial. Sometimes, you know, you want the attention of your leader, but they have to do some work. They have to do the building of the kingdom. They have to do some other stuff. But the people who are sitting around who have the availability to listen to your whining and to listen to the things, all the excuses of why you can't do what God's called you to do. Those are probably not the best voices to have in your world, but Absalom, Absalom had all the time in the world to meet with the people because he had no assignment. His assignment was the people. And so Absalom says that he met them on the road. He met them at the gate, the city gate, every morning, every day. And you know, the city gate was like the city hall of that day. Basically, he knew it was the place where every disgruntled person was going to end up because they were there to complain that the courts were not doing what they wanted them to do. They weren't functioning efficiently. And you know what it says that Absalom did? Absalom greeted the visitors like they were friends. He greeted them like they were his best friends. It was his place where his virtue signaling would have its best success. Why are you here? Where did you come from? What is your problem? Oh, you know what? The king should, can't, he should do this in your favor. He should, he should rule this in your favor. And so they began to see him flatter them and they loved it. It was gross flattery, but the people loved it. They wanted him to tell them what they wanted to hear. And so Absalom, it says that he, um, he began to tell them that he would deal with kingdom matters better. 
you know, that, that he would be able to, if he led this place, that he would do a better job of it. And, and then when the people began to bow to him because he was the prince, he would say, no, don't bow to me. And then he would grab them and pull them in and kiss their cheek. It was like the hypocritical kisses of Judas on Jesus's cheek. And it only took him four years for his magnetism to draw together a large following throughout the entire land. And now because he had a large following was his moment to make his procession to the throne. And we see him, we see him riding a chariot pulled by horses with 50 men in front who were announcing the presence of King Absalom who was ascending to the throne. You see, the thing about this is that Absalom's parade is impressive, yes, but it lacks substance and it would be short-lived because all Absalom cared about was being known by the people and not being known by God. And I got to tell you, we live in a day where it's so easy to be known by people and not known by God. Anyone can create a social media account. Anyone can write books. Anyone can get in front of you, but they have no substance essentially to what it is behind anything that they are saying. Maybe it sounds right. Maybe it sounds good, but what have they built? Is it all digital and nothing physical? Have they developed anything? Have they discipled anyone? Have they the substance of a leader? And maybe we don't have to worry about being an Absalom today. Maybe you're thinking, well, why is she making this comparison? I don't think that I have the proclivities to be an Absalom. But maybe you're following an Absalom or two or three. And maybe God wants to just reveal that to you by showing you what an Absalom looks like. And so David... David didn't need any parade. In fact, David, he wrote in the Psalms, some trust in chariots, some in horses. But as for me, I will trust in the name of the Lord. Because for David, he cared about being known by God more than he cared about being known by man. And so, so meanwhile, David's out in his camp in the wilderness. And we see him and, and while Absalom has usurped the throne and, and you know, he's like in that place, you've got the priests in the mix here. And the priests are like, you know what? You can have that earthly throne, but you can't have the throne of God. So we're taking the ark with us to David. And so they decide that they're gonna take the ark to David. They take all the Levites with them. They start, you know, having offerings and praising God and praying for the king's protection out there in the wilderness. And David comes out and he's like, what are you doing with the ark here? Take the ark back. I don't need the ark here. He didn't want a repeat of what happened with Eli where, where the, the glory of God departed from them because they wanted a token of the presence of of God. He's like, I'm out here in the wilderness. I have seen the glory of God and the power of God in His sanctuary. The presence of God can find me out here in the wilderness. I don't need a token of it. And so, 
and so he, he's out there and in Psalm 63, I love that it, it makes this known. He says, oh God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you. In a land that is dry, desolate and without water, um, I get, so I gaze on you in your sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. I love that. God, uh, David understood that the presence of God was everything. And so, you know, he understood that prayer, like Vox Jen understand this week, that prayer was his spiritual oasis. That it was his oasis in the desert times of life. You know, and I love this because, you know, sometimes we find ourselves in desert seasons. But if you're in a desert and you happen to f- stumble across an oasis, you return to it. And so David's just done enough life and been through enough wilderness moments to realize that I need an oasis in this season and I don't need to go long periods of time without talking to my God. I need to find Him and I can find Him on the daily. His presence is what I find in prayer. He's my spiritual oasis. And so David in the arid and the brittle and the harsh seasons of life, is he found himself in the presence of God, consistently there. He had his hour of prayer. You know, this morning I had my hour of prayer. I don't know where I read it. I read it somewhere um, that David, you know how he, was, he would play the harp? Well, that he would carry the, this small lyre in the wilderness and he'd hang it from the tree. And while he slept, he, he would, you know, it was like his alarm clock. So as the morning breeze would begin to flow through the, the, the strings of this instrument, he would wake up and then he would wake up and he would tell the sun to wake up. And he would worship God in the dark moments of the day. And so this morning I woke up at 4.30 and I prayed for you. I prayed that God would locate you. I prayed that that God would find you in your wilderness moment and that He would bring the refreshment that you needed in this time. And so so He prayed and He did it on the daily. He had His hour of prayer. I can't encourage you enough as Christians to have your hour of prayer. Like every day. Every single day, not just on Sundays when you come in here. This is your oasis, yes, but there's an oasis for you every single day in the presence of God. And so David had a conviction that no matter how disordered or disturbed everything was, that he may have lost his throne and things looked out of line, but God was still on his throne. And if God was still on his throne, then that was the one connection that he needed to have. And so he, he sits in it. And so despite what David was feeling, he knew that God would fulfill his covenant and his promise that his word was gonna be true. And that even if God rejected David, here's the thing with David. David understood that, that he submitted himself to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He was a king himself. If anyone should have control issues, it should have been David. Like I got this. But he said, I go to the rock that is higher than I. 
So we understood what it is to say to God, even so, I would like things to work out this way for me, but even if it doesn't, you get to be God and you get to do it your way. He was submitted to the will of God for his life. And Psalm 63 exposes the content of David's heart. It's like in the most trying time, it doesn't reveal a fragile, anxious man. It actually reveals an incorruptible peace. That while the enemy is working overtime to create conflict around him, that while the civil war is raging in the natural around him, that the posture of his heart is peace. It's a peace that surpasses all understanding. And I just think that it's like at this point in David's life that he understood that we have a relentless enemy. But even this relentless enemy is no match for God's unrelenting love that can find you in every single season of your life. He wasn't disillusioned. He understood that we have an enemy who loves to deal in problems. If Jesus is the Prince of Peace, then Satan is the Prince of Problems. And he loves to bring problems. He brings problems to our mind and he brings problems to our heart and he brings problems to our family and he brings problems in finances and he brings problems in business. And who had a hard time on the stock market recently? Like there's, there's some problems that the enemy loves to bring and he loves to put in front of us. And he, he deals in problems because he understands if he can get you loaded up with problems, then you're not doing anything to work towards the prize, to work towards your purpose, to work towards the calling of God on your life. So he loves to burden you with all these things. And I just wanna say to you today, Vive Church, that if you walked in here with problems, it's okay because the Prince of Peace is here to minister to you. That, that if you're in here today and you need healing, the healer is here for you. If you're in here today and there has been stuff going on in your mind, the one who steals your mind is here. If you've been going through stuff emotionally, the one who heals your emotions is here. And you know, sometimes we like to just make, you know, real faith doesn't have emotions. Well, that's a load of BS if I ever heard it. Real faith has real emotions attached to it. And we look at David and he's dealing with these very real obstacles and this very real betrayal. And it says that David walked up in, in 2 Samuel 15 verse 30, where at that point in the story, he walked up the road to the Mount of Olives, hello, weeping as he went. David was a strong man, he was a courageous man, but he still had feelings. Feelings are important, Jesus had feelings. Jesus wept when his best friend Lazarus died. He had feelings. Paul wept at the fate of what people would have if they didn't encounter Jesus. Faith has feelings. And so here is David and he's in his feels and he's got a lot to feel about because he's lost his son Amnon who was murdered by his other son. And then his Tamar has been defiled, his daughter. And then he's got Absalom who's gonna die. So he's in his feelings about all of these things. His best friend who we might've turned to for counsel 
counsel is no longer there because he has betrayed him too. The people who he gave his whole life, all the days of his life to serve and to love on them have betrayed him and gone for somebody who hasn't been called by God. And so David is in his feelings right now. And I love this because he doesn't, you know, the, the enemy wants you to, to make you feel like, you know, you, you, you get stuck in these betrayal times or you have to get vengeance in these betrayal times or that you have to bring justice in these betrayal times. But David doesn't do any of that. It says that David got down on his knees and he began to pray and he began to worship And I would say to you, what do you do when you feel betrayed by the relationships around you? What do you do when you feel like things are not working out? What do you do in your wilderness season? You get on your knees and you pray. And some of you have stopped praying. Some of you have stopped worshipping. And maybe, you know, it's because the things around you that are happening around you, you've allowed those things to cut off your voice and stop you from praying. And they've, you know, distracted you. All the problems have distracted you from what you don't have or who you don't have. And you have forgotten what you do have. You have the comfort of prayer. You have God with you. He is able to answer your prayers. There is power in prayer. There's power to see your situation differently. There is power for the situation to be turned around. The enemy doesn't want you to pray. He doesn't want you to read your Bible. He wants you to get stuck all in yourself. He wants you to get hard. He wants you to get bitter. He wants you to not care. He wants you to shut off your emotions and become a shell. But God, when we pray, He puts the heart and the soul back in us that He always destined for there to be. You know, there's something so beautiful about giving God a piece of your mind. He can handle it. I lost my dad three weeks ago, suddenly. I gave God a piece of my mind and He can handle it. It's not my timing. It's not His timing. What are you doing, God? I don't understand. Some of you have to have those conversations with God where you give Him a piece of your mind. And it is only when you give God a piece of your mind that He gets that puzzle piece that makes you feel like you're out of alignment or makes you feel like things are out of sorts. And He begins to put it back into the big piece and master puzzle of your life. And He gives it a new perspective and He slots it in and you suddenly have a piece that surpasses all understanding. And you're depriving yourself of the wonderful counsellor because you refuse to give God a piece of your mind. He asked, he asked, let me tell you, we gotta learn how to ask God for some things. David knew how to ask God for some things. You know, I've been recently invited to a lot of royal kids' birthday parties and I love it. I love being their favourite. I'm just telling myself that I'm their favourite. And so what I've learned is though, you never ask the parent what the child, what gift to get the child. You always ask the child because then you know what's in the heart of the child. The heart of the child wants me to buy them slime. I know that it's gonna delight them. So I'm gonna buy them slime. But the parents, they just wanna tell me what the child needs. 
underwear. It's like usually a book or something for their mind, you know, buy them a Bible, Pastor. I want to buy them slime. And so, (laughs) when did we stop asking God like a child? When did we start curating how we tell God what we think He thinks we need? Rather than just telling Him what's in our heart, the exercise is for us to realise what's in our heart. God knows what we need. But we don't know what we need sometimes. Sometimes it's good for us to say it. It's good for us to ask it. God loves a good ask. I ask God for stuff all the time, very specific stuff all the time. God is a specific God. You don't need to be general in case it doesn't happen. Get specific with God. And so David understood that. He understood how to ask very specifically because in Psalm 63, he acknowledges you are my helper. So he says, I don't know what is going on. Ahithophel has betrayed me. He's my counsellor. He knows he's a man of war. He knows how I think. I trained him that way. I'm dead if he's still in a place where he can affect me. So God confused the counsel of Ahithophel. His prayer was really specific and very direct. And at the end of his prayer, who do we find that meets him on the Mount of Olives? None other than his friend Hushai. And God sends Hushai to meet with him. Sometimes it's good to have your prayers answered, but it's even better to be the answer to prayer. And so here is Hushai. Hushai says, it says in, uh, that David sees him and he says, when, when David reached the summit of the Mount of Olives where people worship God, Hushai the archite was waiting there for him. In verse 34, he says, David, David says, return to Jerusalem and tell Absalom, I will now be your advisor, O King, just as I was your father's advisor in the past. Then you can frustrate and counter Ahithophel's advice. Pretty much immediately after praying, God sends him this moment. And you know, while David's out there and he's seeking the mind of God in the wilderness up at the palace, we've got Absalom still and he's seeking the counsel of man, which is what we do a lot. Sometimes we like to call a friend before we like to call on God. And that's what got Absalom in trouble. And so we see him here and You know, he's seeking the counsel of Ahithophel and his plan was pretty good. He's like, here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna take a small army. You're gonna attack swiftly. I'm gonna lead the army because remember, he wants to get vengeance on David. He's gonna give him his just desserts for killing his grandson on the battlefield. And so he's gonna do that. And he says, I'm gonna lead the army and then, We're gonna do it suddenly at night. Interesting that David was awake praying at night because he understood that was his weakest moment. And then David would be the target. And then after we've gotten David, then we're gonna take all the people back and they're gonna serve the new king. Well, Hushai wasn't in the room when this plan was being shared. And and so Absalom shares his favourite counsellor's wisdom with Hushai and Hushai is like, great, I'm gonna have to counter this. And so under the direction of the Lord, Hushai is like, you know what, Absalom, you are the one that needs to lead the army. 
he appeals to his pride. And so he says, not just any army, you're gonna build the biggest army that Israel's ever seen. And so the, and go and assemble it. And Hushai in his grand plan with vivid mental pictures grips the hearts and minds of Absalom and his leaders. And in that moment, we see that God answered David's prayer and He confuses the counsel of Ahithophel. And because of that moment, we see that David is spared. You see, the result is that David's submission, his request, his ask was given to God. And you know what? David never operated like he owned his own life. And as Christians, we need to stop operating like we own our own life. If you are a Christian, your life is not your own. You are now dead. You are alive in Christ. And so David, my life is not my own. I am at the mercy of my God, my God who created life, my God who has my destiny in His hands, my God who has the right to do with me as He pleases, as He will. I am submitted to You, God. And so David finds himself in this space. And let me tell you this, stand to your feet, because we're gonna do, we're just gonna close out the service. But the reason that I want you to pray is because prayer is about agreement with God. Prayer is about submission, yes, but it is about agreement with God. Not my will, but Your will be done, God. So the great conclusion is that David kept seeking in a disjointed season like it was his number one priority. And I know that I'm looking at a lot of people here today who on the outside, you look like your life's in line with what's going on, with what God has for you. But on the inside, your heart is out of line. And God wants to get it back into line with Him again today. He wants to allow you to have Him come in and, and, and bridge the gap and let you be in alignment with Him again and let the blessings of heaven flow on your life today. And so I need to set you up for this moment. Everything about this message was to help you get back in line. Alignment is everything. Alignment with God is everything. You know, the devil's gonna fight like hell, but that's when you fight like heaven and you get on your knees and you pray. And you can't beat hell in your own strength. I don't know if you know this, you can't do that in your own strength. So you go to the one who defeated hell and God begins to bring breakthrough into our world. Why don't you lift your hands towards heaven today? Father, I pray for that divine alignment to come right now with Your people. Do heart surgery. Give us an adjustment where we've had attitudes that are out of place, where maybe we've operated like owners of our own life rather than stewards of the life that You have given us. God, we are Your servants. We are Your people. We submit to Your plans and to Your ways. We want Your promises to be fulfilled in the earth God, we ask that You use us, that You bring us back into Your comfort, into Your alignment, into sync with You, that You lock us in mentally, emotionally, physically with the purposes that You have for our life. God, we ask that our bodies be healed in alignment with Your Word. Lord God, we ask that our minds be 
be healed in alignment with Your Word. Lord God, we pray for divine revelation in Jesus' mighty Name. In Jesus' mighty Name. Hey, I hope you were blessed by that message. We release new content every single week here at Vive Church. And so if you don't wanna miss any of it, I would encourage you, go ahead and subscribe. Also visit our website, vivechurch.org to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the life of Vive Church. God bless you.